Hey y'all, Jake Bible here. Thank you for listening to the original podcast recording of Dead Mech that I released way back in 2009. I've had a lot of folks ask for these original recordings, so I thought I'd put them back out there for y'all to enjoy. The episodes will be released weekly for free, but if you don't want to wait, then head over to jakebible.substack.com and subscribe. Links are in the show notes. Paid subscribers receive access to all 26 episodes right now. And that's not all. Subscribers receive access to early release ebooks, getting them before they even go on sale in my online store or any of the retail sites, plus early access to new audiobooks, exclusive short stories, including the weekly Friday Night Drabble Party, live readings, and so much more. That's jakebible.substack.com. Subscribe now and get all the goods. Now, enjoy a little bit of the past. Thank you. You're listening to Jake Bible's Dead Mech, the world's first Drabble novel, written and performed by Jake Bible. This story is available only as a podcast novel and is not for the faint of heart. If you can't stand blood, gore, graphic violence, foul language, cannibalism, zombie hordes, or sexual situations, well then, you aren't invited to this party. For more details and info, go to jakebible.com. Feel free to leave your mark there. It's only fair. Episode 18, Chapter 9, Part 1 Get in the car, Jimmy shouted at Michelle. But what about get in the goddamn car, Michelle? Michelle opened the back seat and placed baby Rachel into her secure seat and then strapped herself into the passenger seat. Jimmy hit the accelerator and tore out of their parking garage, right into gridlock hell as every other citizen was attempting to get out of the city. Jimmy hit the horn over and over. Move! Move! Rachel started to cry. Jimmy, baby, stop yelling. Just stop. Jimmy turned on Michelle. Don't tell me what to do, goddammit! We don't have time! Rachel watched her father sleep, knowing he was dreaming from his twitching hands and facial features. Mastelow is here with his people, Bisbee said quietly. Shall we wake him? No, let him sleep. He's not as young as he used to be, Rachel answered. We can handle the training. Bisbee watched the commander's face contort and frown. You sure we shouldn't wake him? He doesn't look like he's having much fun in there. He's been like that my whole life, Rachel said, standing and placing a kiss on her father's forehead. I don't think he knows how to sleep peacefully. Jimmy swerved around two cars that had collided, their drivers screaming at each other. He cut off three other cars attempting to do the same, and their horns blared. Jesus, Jimmy, be careful, Michelle cried. You're going to get us. She trailed off, looking past him and out the window. I'm a fucking mech pilot, Michelle. I think... He stopped, seeing her face and turned to look out his window. His jaw dropped as he watched the dead mech stomp down a side street right at them, crushing cars and people as if they were paper. Oh, God, he whispered. Rachel, Bisbee, and Harlow stood shoulder to shoulder, frowning at the Skinners before them. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Mastelow, but that's only forty men by my count, Rachel said. I apologize, Pilot Caprizi, but unfortunately that is all that will accompany me, Mastelow replied. 
I, I do apologize. Great, Bisbee huffed, inexperienced and shorthanded. A soft thunk sounded and Bisbee glanced down to see a knife sticking from the ground between his feet. Who fucking threw that? No offense, Pilot Bisbee, Mastelo said, but we are only inexperienced with your firearms. Some weapons we are quite good with. Get out of the car! Now! Jimmy screamed. I've got Rachel! Go! Michelle threw open the car door and got out, but was immediately knocked to the ground by several people rushing by. Michelle! Jimmy called. I'm fine! Just get Rachel! Jimmy reached back and unlatched the secure seat, pulling the entire unit out. He grabbed the diaper bag and slung it over his shoulder, shoving his car door open into the rushing crowd. He dashed to the other side of the car, but Michelle was gone. Jimmy! He heard her call and spotted her trapped in the panicked throng. Bisbee shouldered his auto carbine, took aim, and fired, the rapport echoing in the early morning darkness of the wasteland. A can, 30 yards off, flew into the air and Bisbee hit it three more times before it touched ground. He turned and pushed the carbine into Mastelow's hands. All weapons I'm good with. Rachel rolled her eyes and shoved Bisbee out of the way. Let me take over. She showed Mastelow the basics of the carbine's features, then stood behind him, guiding his arms and helping him aim. He slowly pulled the trigger and the can jumped. Nice, she said. The dead mech slammed its fist into the pavement, crushing dozens of screaming citizens. Jimmy! Michelle cried, being carried away with the crowd. Jimmy! Michelle! Caprizi cried back. Just hold on! I'll... But he never finished. As a massive shadow flew over him, he risked a glance up and saw the dead mech leaping over his and the other cars. His stomach jolted and his blood ran cold as he watched the rampaging machine land in the middle of the escaping masses, landing right on top of Michelle. Jimmy heard a hundred choked off screams, thinking every one was Michelle's. Caprizi sat bolt upright, the sounds of screams echoing in his head and the sounds of carbine fire echoing in his ears. Thermopolis sat across from him in the transport, her eyes red with fatigue. Well, at least you got a few more minutes than I did, she yawned, setting a cup of coffee in front of the commander. She stood and walked to the transport door. But I'm pretty sure my sleep was a little more restful. Caprizi ran his hand down his face and picked up the coffee. I'm fine, Doc. Thermopolis pursed her lips. Sure you are. Matthew's eyes shot open, instantly awake, and he immediately checked his control panel for malfunctions. Why are we stopped? He asked Shiner. We needed to hardline with one, Shiner responded, and Matthew looked out of the cockpit to the cable running from Shiner to the mini-mech. What are you doing? Matthew asked, but didn't wait for an answer as he mentally checked the process being performed. Whistle commands? Well, that's old school. Yes, it was the way many working animals were trained hundreds of years ago, with great results. Shiner responded. It allows us to guide one without detection. Olivia nudged June as gently as possible, but the mech pilot still awoke with a start, arm pulled back and fist clenched. Hold on, it's just me, Olivia whispered harshly. Calm down. June lowered her fist and rubbed at her eyes. Sorry, combat reflexes. We call it survivor instinct, Olivia said. Either way, the sun's almost up and we should get moving. June stepped from the cramped ATV and stretched, walking a few steps away before dropping her uniform to pee. 
As she squatted, she caught sight of movement and light out of the corner of her eye. Another ATV. Shiner Matthew ran one through several communication drills before they were satisfied. Outstanding, Matthew said. Shiner Matthew whistled one more quick command, sending one to the top of a close-by ridge, then whistled another command to bring the mini-mech back. But one didn't budge. It remained at the top of the ridge, facing away from Shiner Matthew. Did we break him? Matthew asked. No, Shiner responded. Its systems appear normal. The mech crested the ridge and came to rest beside one. Below them, in the twilight dawn, they could see tens of thousands of walking undead with dozens of transports flanking them. Did they see us? Olivia whispered. I don't know, June responded quietly, watching the headlights of the other ATV in the distance. The ATV came to a stop and June held her breath. They watched and waited, praying the ATV would pass them by. Then the ATV's lights went out and June sprang to her feet. Shit! Strap in! We've got to move! June cried. Why? Olivia asked. They turned their lights off. Doesn't that mean they aren't coming after us? No, June said. It means they are coming after us. They just don't want us to see them coming. Man, it's a good thing you thought to bring my mech, Jay said, sitting down next to Masters, handing him a cup of coffee. I couldn't have built the sonic disc without those parts legit got for us. Yeah, at least he's worth something, Masters responded, taking a sip of the coffee and immediately spitting it out. What the fuck is this? Tastes like a zombie shit in my mouth and fucked my mouth and shot its undead load in my already shit-filled mouth. Oh. Jay burst out laughing. Not quite Rachel's brew, is it? Sure as fuck isn't. How far behind us are our reinforcements? Bishop Weibel asked. Eighteen hours, your grace, Deacon Montoya responded. Shall we postpone the assault until they have joined us? Bishop Weibel waved dismissively. Of course not, Deacon. We are perfectly capable of handling this engagement ourselves. The bishop stretched and stood. Open the hatch, Montoya. I need some fresh air. Yes, your grace. A hatch in the top of the transport cockpit opened, and the bishop grabbed a hold of the service ladder, pulling himself halfway out into the open air. He surveyed the ten additional transports in their convoy and grinned. Hey, Jethro? Matthew called over the comm. The mechanic snored loudly in his wheelchair, head lulled back and mouth agape. Jethro, you there? Huh? What? Jethro snorted, shaking his head and looking about the transport, dazed. Jethro, it's Matthew! What? Shit! Sorry, Matty. What you need? Let the commander know we have spotted another debtor army. Shit! Where's it headed? Jethro asked. Looks like the UDC, the same as the rest, Matthew answered. Crap! How many other armies you think are out there? Calculations say six, at least. Fuck. I'm gonna get the commander. Yeah, that's a great idea, Matthew responded sarcastically. Caprizi here. What you got for me, Jespers? Detter army on its way to the UDC stronghold, Matthew answered over the comm. Thousands of them, and at least three dozen transports. Caprizi sighed. How far are you from the stronghold? I don't know. Maybe a day? And from us? Caprizi asked. Probably the same, sir. Caprizi took a deep breath and let it out slowly. My daughter is going to hate me for this, but I need you to get past that army and beat them to the stronghold. Can you do that? You bet, sir. 
Matthew answered. Excellent. Be careful. Okay, so how the fuck do we get past all those UDC transports and a few thousand zombies? Matthew asked. We will need to halt their progress and divert their attention, Shiner said. Yeah, but how... Oh, Matthew said as Shiner instantly shared his plan. Damn, we just got him trained. It is unfortunate, but we will be spotted and pursued if we do not distract them. Matthew sighed and looked down at the mini-mech. Well, no time like the present, Matthew said. Shiner extended a cable to one, knowing the mini-mech would need more instruction than just whistle commands. June slammed the ATV's accelerator down and the tires spit sand and gravel as they sped from their cover. Instantly, ATV lights flashed behind them, this time much closer than they had been before. See? June said. If we hadn't been awake, they'd be on us already. Olivia started to respond but cried out instead and pointed off to their left at a new pair of headlights. Yeah, I see him. Hold on, June shouted, yanking the wheel and sending the ATV down a steep grade to the bottom of a dry ravine. They can't cut us off down here. Olivia watched the dark walls of the ravine speed by. Do you know where we are going? Yeah, there's a cave around this turn, June shouted. See? June slammed on the brakes and yanked the wheel, just missing the ravine wall as the ATV swerved into the cave mouth. Hold on, this is going to be rough. Olivia glanced back to make sure the children were strapped in securely. They were, but their eyes were terrified, and from the smell, at least one of them voided their bladder and bowels. Olivia reached her hand back, and both children grasped it. Shiner Matthew watched one descend towards the zombie army. We must leave before we are detected, Shiner said. And let's get the fuck out of here. I guess our next stop is the stronghold. You think that's where the outsider is? I am certain of it, Shiner responded. Is it human or AI? Matthew asked. From its processing power, I'd have to infer it to be both. Similar to us. But not us. That thing is fucking huge compared to us. Yes, it is. But it does appear to have a disadvantage. What's that? It's stationary. It can't run from us. It's done! Marin called to Jay. The mech mechanic turned from watching the welding team put the finishing touches on Stomper's new armor plating. Seriously? Fucking hell, you folks are good! Jay exclaimed. Yeah, well, we're used to working on a train moving at full throttle. This motionless stuff is a piece of cake, she answered. Great! Hey, Masters, Jay called. Yeah, we ready? Masters called back. Yep, better get loaded up. Gotcha. Jay turned to find the rookie and saw him a few yards away in a heated discussion with Jenny. Looks like the Razor has met his match. Why are you still so pissed? I told you I'd never piloted a mech before, the rookie insisted. But if you hadn't have taken the mech in the first place, we'd still have one, Jenny rebutted. Yeah, but... really? If it wasn't for me, there'd be even more people dead, the rookie said. Looked more like your pilot buddy Masters was the one that saved the day. Oh, for fuck's sake, come on! Everything alright over here? Timpson asked, approaching the two. Fine, your daughter's just busting my balls, the rookie answered. Please, you'd have to have balls, Jenny snorted. Powered up! All systems ready, Masters said over the comm. Great, Jay responded as he, Marin, and a few other railers double-checked that each train car was coupled and stable on the tracks. 
You want to take point? Sure. You think you can keep up? My legs are long and gorgeous, and man, do they have a stride. Get over yourself, and let's get a move on, the rookie interrupted. We've got a lot of wasteland to cover before meeting up with everyone else. Okay, keep your killer panties on. Sheesh, Masters joked as he and Stomper stepped up front. June's ATV burst from the other end of the cave into the brightening morning light. Do you see them? She shouted to Olivia. The older woman scanned the wasteland behind them and to the side. No, I think we lost them. Thank God, June said. We're only a few miles from the base. We're almost safe. Olivia gave the children's hands a reassuring squeeze. Hear that? We'll be safe soon. No more worries. The children beamed up at her with hope. Then the child without a nose shuddered and looked down as a bright red stain spread across his chest. Olivia screamed a high-pitched scream of anguish and fear, nearly causing June to lose control of the ATV. What? What is it? June asked, but there wouldn't be any answer as Olivia's head rocked back and the scream stopped. June glanced over and saw the blood pouring from the hole between Olivia's eyes. No! June risked a glance back and saw one child slumped over, presumably dead, and the other child curled into a ball, his head tucked close to his knees. June reached back and pushed the child to the floor of the ATV. Stay down! she yelled. Shoot the tires, the boss ordered, sipping from a tin cup. Turk brought the rifle to his shoulder and squeezed off two shots. The boss stood on the ridge edge and looked below as the ATV swerved violently, lost control, and rolled side over side until stopping upside down. Good job, Turk, the boss praised then walked back to his ATV, pulling the driver's head back and placing his tin cup to the young woman's open throat, filling the cup to the rim. He took a long drink and wiped his mouth, revealing blood-red teeth as he grinned, satisfied. June wheezed, knowing she had a cracked rib and hung upside down, still harnessed into the ATV. She reached up to undo the harness and the pain made her call out, there was certainly more than one rib broken. She watched small hands reach past her and release the straps, and June put her hands out to stop from falling. The boy, a nasty lump on his forehead, put his hand out, and June took it, painfully getting to her feet. She took a couple of agonizing breaths to make sure she hadn't punctured a lung, then hugged the boy. You got a clear shot? The boss asked Turk. Not without hitting the mechie, bitch, Turk responded. Send a couple of warning shots. Take the kid out when they make a run for it. Turk brought the rifle to his shoulder again, and the boss watched the sharpshooter, admiring the man's calm. By the time he noticed the red dot bobbing on the back of Turk's head, it was too late. One rifle shot rang out, and Turk's head exploded in a mass of bone and brains. The boss whirled and came face to face with a half a dozen ranchers. The boy pulled away from June, hearing the ATV a split second before it rounded the mesa, heading straight for them. June pushed the child ahead of her, scanning the surroundings for some type of cover. Go! Run to those boulders! she yelled, but the boy stayed still. What are you waiting for? Run! She shoved the kid hard and he almost fell to the ground, but he still stayed by her. He stared at the ATV and cocked his head. June followed his gaze and saw the markings and shine, realizing it wasn't a boiler ATV. It was ranchers. One, obeyed. It was told to give Shiner Matthew time to slip away, 
to get ahead of the undead army. So the mini-mech dove into the center of the zombie horde, guns blazing. Row upon row of debtors fell as the large caliber bullets tore through the rotting corpses. But soon the thousands of zombies converged on the mini-mech, swarming it, overpowering it. It was what Shiner Matthew expected. The numbers were just too great. And as one fired its last bullet, an internal timer hit zero, and the wasteland plain was lit up in a burst of white light. One died. Matthew cringed as he heard the explosion and felt the ground tremble. That was a shitty thing to do, he said. It was necessary, Shiner responded. I feel like a fucking asshole, Matthew said. Don't you feel guilty at all? Or haven't you developed a conscience yet? Shiner processed. I do not feel guilt as of yet. But from my understanding, guilt is a product of human society, not a part of what you would call a conscience. I do have a conscience, certainly not as sensitive as yours. Shiner paused. If I did not, you would already be dead. Caprizi sat on the transport's ramp, sipping his fifth cup of coffee, watching his pilots train the skinners. Can I get a hand, sir? Jethro asked behind him. Caprizi turned and stood, walking up the ramp and helped Jethro ease the wheelchair down the ramp. Thanks. Of course, Jethro. Least I can do, Caprizi said. Jethro eyed the commander. You say that like this wheelchair is your fault. I'm the CO. Everything is my fault. Bullshit, Jethro exclaimed. Every one of your people would gladly die and never blame you. I wish that were true, Caprizi responded, finishing his coffee. I think you all have the hang of it, Rachel addressed the Skinners. Plus, I don't think we can spare more ammo. Which is why our people have never taken to firearms, a Skinner said. Their usefulness is finite. He drew a large knife and let the sunlight glint off the metal. Whereas a good blade never needs reloading. Bisbee and Harlow exchanged glances. After you, Bisbee said, waving Harlow forward. Finite, huh? Harlow said, pulling the clip from her carbine and ejecting the cartridge from the chamber. How about you come at me with that magic knife of yours? The Skinner looked to Mastelow, then at Harlow. Well, you coming or not? Harlow taunted, slapping her carbine. It's unloaded and useless. The Skinner approached Harlow cautiously, then lunged, slashing at the pilot with his knife. Harlow sidestepped, sweeping his legs out from under him with the carbine, then instantly bringing the butt of the rifle within an inch of the Skinner's face. The Skinner stared at Harlow, wide-eyed with shock. Harlow laughed, withdrawing the carbine, and reached out to help the Skinner up. So... Bisbee said, stepping up behind a gloating Harlow. Who's ready for the next lesson? The ATV stopped several yards from June and the boy. Pilot Caprizi, place your hands on your head and kneel down, a voice boomed over a loudspeaker. Do what I do, June told the boy as she placed her hands atop her head and got to her knees. The boy watched for a second and then copied her exactly. Four heavily armed ranchers stepped from the ATV and approached June, carbines fixed on her. You move, and we gut shot the kid, one of them barked. The ranchers shoved them to the ground and quickly tied their hands behind them. The boy stumbled frequently as he and June were pushed towards the ATV. Hey, be careful with him. He's not used to moving about so much, June said. Shut up, heathen, a rancher scolded digging the barrel of his carbine into June's skull. The ranchers steered them to the back of the ATV, 
unlatching the tailgate to reveal a trussed-up man facing the other way. With a little effort, the man was able to roll over and face them. Look who it is, the boss said. A shitty meal and a smelly cunt. Which one should I eat first? Juden couldn't tear her eyes away from Olivia's lifeless body as the rancher ATV passed by, leaving the corpse to be ravaged by the wasteland. You're just going to leave her there? June said. At least burn the corpse. There will be debtors swarming about in no time. We do not fear the disciples as you heathens do, the rancher driver barked back. It is the will of God to feed them and prepare the earth for the one true disciple. Waste of good meat if you ask me, the boss said, a mocking smile playing at his lips. June glared. Caprizi stood next to Bisbee, quite surprised by the progress the Skinners were making. For a non-warring people, they sure can fight. Yes, I may have misled you before, Commander, Mastelow said, moving to join the two men. We do train in combat from a young age, so we can defend ourselves against the dead things if needed. Mastelow gestured towards Harlow as she knocked another Skinner to the ground. But we are nowhere near the skill level of Pilot Harlow. Bisbee laughed. Not many are. Yes, my men are finding that out the hard way, Mastelow said, smiling. How much longer must we travel, Montoya? Bishop Weibel asked impatiently. Several hours, Your Grace, the deacon responded. I do have good news, though. Pray tell. We have captured the Caprizi woman, sir, as she approached the base. Excellent news, deacon, excellent! There is more, Your Grace, Montoya continued. The boss was captured also. Apparently he was trying to beat us to the mech pilot, but as you well know, Your Grace, his inferior abilities are no match for our righteousness. So true, Montoya, the bishop praised. And His Holiness, the Archbishop, has he arrived? Within the hour, Your Grace. Rage filled June as they approached the mech base and she saw the rancher transports stationed outside the hangar. But the rage was tempered with confusion as UDC troops stood watch. What the hell? she blurted out. Why is the UDC here also? Where's Caprici and the base staff? The boss eyed June carefully. That's right, you don't know. Your daddy got scared and ran. Your mech buddies didn't even have enough piss in them to wet themselves. They just hiked up their pussies and left. The boss grinned viciously, enjoying the look of shocked outrage on June's face. The rancher ATV pulled into the hangar and stopped. Several armed ranchers approached, ready to unload the prisoners. But June ignored them, focusing instead on the many UDC troops standing stock still about the hangar walls. What is wrong with them? June asked as she was pulled roughly from the ATV. They look dead. Shut your heathen mouth, a rancher barked. You will not speak unless spoken to. The rancher slapped June across the face and grabbed her by her hair. You will obey and behave yourself or become our next sacrifice. June spit in the man's eye. Fuck you. The boy cried out as June took the butt of the rancher's carbine to her jaw, dropping her to the hangar floor in a bloody heap. The boss burst out laughing and didn't stop as the rancher whirled on him. What are you laughing at, boiler? the rancher growled. The boss stifled his laughter, but his face twitched with the effort. <laughs> Not much, as far as I can tell. The rancher lashed out, but the boss stepped out of reach and the rancher overbalanced, falling to the floor. The boss couldn't hold it any longer and hooted with delight.
Ranchers pounced on the boss, fists pumping. He continued laughing until finally the blows were too much and he succumbed to unconsciousness. The first rancher, Deacon Stern, picked himself off the ground and planted a swift kick into the boss's midsection. Take this boiler piece of shit to a holding cell. He wiped blood from his nose and flicked it onto June. Take the Caprizi whore to Reverend Heath in the control room. Her handprint should unlock more systems. Grabbing the boy, he yanked him to the side of the hangar, shackling him to the mini-mech too. You're for the Archbishop. Reverend Heath scowled as June was thrown to the floor in front of him. And what, brother, is this? The rancher guard shrugged. Some mech pilot that was found. Deacon Stern said you'd want her hand to unlock the base's systems. Two ranchers seated at the control room's consoles spun about in their chairs to look at June. Reverend Heath squatted next to her and grabbed her by the face. Is this true? Can your print access the system? June narrowed her eyes, but before she could speak, Heath had a blade against her throat. Think carefully when answering, heathen. Why should I willingly help you? June asked. Reverend Heath pulled his hand and blade away from June and stood back. Because all I have to do is take this knife and slice your hand off. I really don't need the rest of you, he answered, his eyes never leaving June's. You think that hasn't been thought of? The hand needs to be body temperature for it to work, June said. And do you think this is the first system of its kind I've come across? I'll have that hand off and on the scanner before it loses a degree. June could see from the casual looks on the rancher Tex's faces that Reverend Heath had in fact followed through on his threat before. I think I'll keep the hand, she said. Heath grinned, sheathing his knife. Great. He reached down and pulled June to her feet, shoving her to the control console. If you'll do the honors, we can have you out of here and back to whatever hell they have planned out there for your heathen soul. June made a show of shaking her bound hands. A little help? Heath laughed. Again, you take me for a novice. Heath turned June around and grasped her right hand, placing it above the scanner pad. Now, before I go any further, are there any protocols I need to know about? I'd hate to be locked out further because a step slipped your mind. No, my print is all you need, June responded. That better be true, otherwise I'll make sure you are still alive as you're systematically dismembered for the Archbishop's entertainment. Just the print, June insisted. Heath eyed her for a moment, then shrugged and placed her hand on the pad as June hoped Jethro had some backup plan. Jethro's tablet bleeped. Whoa, 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 he cried as he examined the data. Something I should know about? Caprizi asked, stepping to Jethro's wheelchair. Yeah, all the base's advanced systems have just been accessed, Jethro answered. And that isn't possible unless... He trailed off, flicking from screen to screen on his tablet. Unless what, Jethro? Caprizi asked impatiently. Huh? Oh, Jethro responded, flipping the tablet around so Caprizi could see. Unless the system is physically unlocked by a hand scan, sir. Caprizi read the name on the tablet. What does that mean? It means June came home, Jethro answered. Caprizi wheeled Jethro back into the transport. Jethro immediately brought up the vid feed for Minimech 2. Doesn't look like any new activity, Caprizi stated, studying the rancher movement in the hangar. No, they still look like they're getting ready for the Archbishop, Jethro said. He panned the image back and forth. Nothing. 
Wait, go back, Caprizi said, leaning in close. What's that? Jethro studied the image for a minute, then pulled out and focused on a reflection upon some sheet metal across the hangar. Mirrored in the reflection, Jethro could see the mini-mech, and the boy shackled to it. June was thrown roughly into the cell with the boss. The cannibal didn't move, letting June fall atop him. Oh, heaven has delivered, the boss laughed. I should kill you for that blasphemy, boiler, the rancher guard snapped. Hmm, pretty sure there's a line formed for that privilege, the boss mocked. The rancher glared and secured the cell before leaving the two alone. June, her hands still bound, thrashed and rolled away from the boss. Ah, uh, I was working up a chubby just for you. June righted herself into a seated position. Please, there's nothing chubby about your tiny prick. A rancher wheeled in a large vid screen and set it before the bars of the holding cell. Will there be snacks? The boss asked. The rancher didn't respond, just turned on the screen and left. The vid screen flickered to life and the image of Bishop Weibel's face appeared. Boss, hello. I'm so glad you could join us, the bishop grinned. And you're exactly how I'd always pictured, caged like the animal you are. The boss glowered silently. Did I hurt your feelings, Boiler? Oh well, not to worry. I have something special planned for you. And Miss Caprizi. Where is June? Caprizi asked. Can't you access the base's security? No, sir. Like I said before, not without alerting the ranchers to our presence, Jethro answered. Two is separate, though, right? If they did catch us in the system, they wouldn't know about two, correct? The commander asked. Well, yeah, but fine. Then who fucking cares who we alert? I've already thrown down the gauntlet, and we gain nothing by keeping our heads down, Caprizi grinned. So how about you rip as much info from the base as you can, and then trash it all? Sounds fun, Jethro smiled. Because of the Archbishop's age, he has certain appetites, Bishop Weibel said. The boss knows all about appetites, June stated. I imagine he does, Bishop Weibel laughed heartily. To continue, one of his appetites is witnessing the glorious spectacle of two of God's creatures pitted against each other. To the death, of course. What is it with you fucking colts and your need for death matches? June shouted. Can't you sick fucks just play cards? Instead of wasting your folk, you're gonna let him watch the princess and I scrap it out, right? The boss said. Precisely, the bishop grinned. How soon can you start? Caprizi asked Jethro as the mechanic furiously typed at his console. Thirty minutes? Jethro answered. I need to optimize the assault or they'll block me out before I can get to the core. And once you get there, I'll be able to make our system useless to them and shred any of their systems they may have connected, Jethro answered. He stopped typing and looked at Caprizi. I'll also be able to activate the base's self-destruct. Not with June inside, Caprizi responded. Jethro just stared. Caprizi narrowed his eyes. Not with June inside, he insisted. If you think I'm going to go along with this shit, you both are crazier than I thought, June snorted. It's you or that grotesque boy you've become attached to, the bishop threatened. A rancher approached. Your grace, the archbishop's transport has arrived. Delightful, the bishop cried. Wheel my screen outside so I can greet him personally. 
Yes, your grace, the rancher responded, taking a hold of the vidscreen cart. Well, good luck, you two, the bishop said, his voice diminishing as the screen was wheeled away. Try to make things entertaining for his holiness, if you don't mind. The boss chuckled, was silent, then chuckled again. What? June asked, knowing the boss was setting her up. It's funny, the boss answered. June sighed. What's funny? Well, how you're afraid to face me, that's all. June closed her eyes, trying to get her anger in check. Don't let the fucker bait you, she thought. Really? That's how you see it? June asked, sounding bored. The boss turned his full gaze on June. That's how it is. You can take on my men, you can kill an old woman, and even kill chunks. But you can't handle a real man. Bishop Weibel's screen was wheeled outside just as the ramp to the Archbishop's transport touched the ground. Turn me around, you fool! The bishop ordered, and the rancher scrambled to face the screen towards the transport. A page descended the ramp and puffed up his chest. Let us all rejoice, the page bellowed. I present Heaven's Ambassador, His Holiness, the Archbishop! All present clapped loudly and then fell to one knee as a boy of fourteen, dressed in ornate robes, appeared. True believers, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the true disciple, I bless you all. You have been listening to Jake Bible's Dead Mech, the world's first Drabble novel. The preceding episode was recorded and produced by the author. The intro music was Miles and Miles by Lake Acres. Outro music is Destroy by The Eternal. Both tracks available at podsafeaudio.com. Title graphic by Ed Delaney. Find him at peculiarcomics.com. This recording is protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works United States 3.0 license. You can share it, copy it, and give it to anyone you want. Just don't edit it, change it, or try to make any money off it without direct permission from the author. Thank you for listening. My head is spinning. Thank you for listening to this episode of the re-release of the original podcast of Dead Mech. Don't want to wait until next week for a new episode? Go subscribe at jakebible.substack.com and you'll get access to all episodes right now. Or you can go to my website or any major retailer and get the audiobook narrated by Julie Hoverson. You can also get the ebook, which is free on all major retailer sites, as well as my own store. Go to jakebible.com for more info. Thanks, y'all. Cheers.